you can fuck your enar out a fucking window at this point <laughs> and decompress that fucking cargo bay hello and welcome to an englishman and an irishman go to the movies the podcast that fumbles in your head like a freshman pulling a panty girdle I'm your Englishman, Ian Whittington, and if I am the dragon, then he is the slug in the sun, the ant in the afterbirth, and he owes me not fear, but awe. It's Sean Ferrick. Is it weird how much I like that? <laughs> is it weird that as soon as I heard ant in afterbirth, I was like, well, there's my open. <laughs> uh, no, no, I tell you what, a year and a half of doing this, and this is not weird in any way. It's That's like, one oh, of yeah. the nicer ones, isn't it? It's pretty much. And it's a great like. It's a great sequence. Like you can tell, Ted Talley is back because he he does some great takedowns. He really, really does. Just heads up to everybody now. Go listen to the soundtrack for Hannibal, and then remember that there are two films in this series. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. There's a great, great score to Hannibal, but it, there's there's no film attached to it at all. <laughs> but I tell you what, isn't it is not a good IMDb score. Um, no. Oh. Anyway. Wait. Right, before we get onto that, um, straight to the news. To the news. News team, assemble. Happy Star Trek Day plus. Uh, plus Six. three days now because it was Thursday no, and, by no, the time four. this comes out on Tuesday it'll be plus five. Oh yeah of course seamless <laughs> yeah. um, happy Star Trek day plus five um, we got treated to some stuff we did and you had a busy day at work I did have a busy day at work Friday yeah. was challenging but that's fine it's all fine <laughs> um, no what not was your Friday because Saturday day was no. Wednesday oh because it was middle of the night it was Wednesday, Wednesday night for us yeah, yeah exactly um, what was your favourite reveal slash part of the fun? I, I, I honestly don't know. I because I really like them all. Um, I so I got up super early with Albie, uh, and John and Adam. Thanks very much, guys. Unfortunately, Ian, you had a very legitimate reason you were going to work, so you weren't able yes. to join us. Um, <laughs> and we got up and we watched. It was weird how they did it. So basically, Star Trek dot com said, "I see your YouTube, and I raise you a fuck off." Nice. And it was not available for stream on. I believe still isn't available for stream I on just, YouTube. No, no, no. They have. So oh, they, they put seems? together okay. a, a play. It's not in a playlist, but they've put it together in a. It's online. Gotcha. Yeah, it's on YouTube. Yeah. So we all rocked up there six a.m. in the morning, going, "Ah, she will have a." Oh dear. Now what nope. they were doing was that they had streamed it live, obviously, and then once the live stream ended. They just put, played it on a loop for a while. So we ended up jumping into mm. it about, I think we were about 20 minutes in. So yeah. I actually, on the first watch around, missed the Prodigy panel, which came first. And mm-hmm. there was a message that Ciroc Lofton, so it, it, for the legacy trek, they had Garrett yes. Wang did a thing about Star Trek Voyager, Anthony Montgomery about Enterprise, and Ciroc Lofton did something about DS9. So, yeah. fortunately, that was just before the Discovery panel, and we ended up joining for the Discovery panel. So, we were just like, oh, because we got to the end of it went, wasn't there supposed to be something about DS9, lads? <laughs> Are we missing something? Yeah. Uh, shameless plug, if you want to see something DS9, head to my Twitter right now. Love you. Uh, so, <laughs> what else? Sorry, Ian. The Prodigy trailer looks 
amazing. I think if they do this well, Prodigy could be one of the great, like, because it looks like, funnily enough, even though Prodigy is being billed as four kids, it looks like it's taking itself more seriously than Lower Decks does. Now, the whole point of Lower Decks is that it doesn't take itself seriously, and that's great, yeah. and that's fun. But this looks like this could be, for those people out there, fair enough, who, who don't enjoy the humour, say, of Lower Decks, this could be more yeah. up there. Well, the only reason that Lower Decks isn't aimed at kids is because of all of the, uh, what's the name of them, the horned things? The, the Mugatus. The Magato, Magato, no, Magato yeah. is from Zoolander. It doesn't matter. Magato is yeah. the Magatars. I that was my favourite running joke of Shaq's deliberately mispronouncing it every single time. Yeah. It was the so Gumatos? good. Other, yeah. the, other than that, rubbing and like the overtly the swearing and the sexual references, it is a kids show, and I think it would play really, really well with kids if you took away that stuff. Prodigy seems like Deep Space Nine to Lower Decks TNG. Uh, TNG. It feels super dark. Do you know what I want? I mean, you're right. And do you know what I wonder as well is that Lower Decks, it's clearly made for fans. Yes, 100%. Yeah. I wonder if that's how they get more, like, not licensed, but if that's how they, like, well, look, we'll put in the humour and we'll put in the dirt mm-hmm. because we know the people watching this are the ones who watched Enterprise, DS9, yeah, TNG. Yeah, they're reading it up. Whereas the Prodigy ones are for new fans. So we'll do it safer. Mm-hmm. You know, there's like, of course, there's going to be loads. Like, we can tell now there's going to be so many Easter eggs. Never mind Janeway yeah. being in it, but I mean, just in general, it'll be like, we have come to it having watched Star Trek, but also I think it will lean less heavily on Easter eggs because of, as I said, trying the to get it. Kids won't get it. Right. Exactly. Yeah, there's no the point. Kids won't in, get it. Yeah, like, there's no point doing a reference to Kirk and Spock at the bar when no, your audience are there's not talk, there's not There's no point mentioning Kazons, to be completely honest. Yeah. Like, they may turn up, but it's not going to be a big, <gasps> oh my God. They do. It's in the trailer. There's a guy. Oh, that's, that. that's what i was laughing that's like so you've watched the trailer then yeah <laughs> whoopsies um but the same people that don't like lower decks will not like prodigy either like there isn't a there isn't a fresh bit of star trek that they will enjoy so i I'd wish they would stop whinging about it just bury it all in the past enjoy what you enjoy 20 oh. years ago and just no matter what we make we no matter what they make it will not be good enough and that's it and look i have a lot of respect for look i i care about this thing that i'm like of course but nobody's taking anything from you. They're all still there. The same criticisms that came out when TNG was being released yeah. are coming out now. <laughs> it's too dark. These characters this are isn't no Star good. Trek this Kirk isn't Star Trek. Isn't in it. Yeah. yeah. And like, if you're, you need to be open to new things. But at the same time, there's nobody forcing you to watch yeah. this stuff. Nobody is standing there with a phaser no. rifle behind you going, now I need you to be able to quote that episode by the end of next But it's just, about, it's just about being right isn't it? They mm. just, they want everything. They just want to be right, which is that's stupid. Anyway, my, my favourite part was bringing back the, the Enars. Um, I just, I didn't think we'd ever see them again, to be honest. And Ian's editing this, so I don't know how much of that hateful <laughs> silence was left in there. but Or if he's just added even more hateful silence. I mean, it stood out, so it's really, it was a really, really obvious callback, so I'm, I'm glad they did it. It's impossible to miss. <laughs> but I think I might Still a bit fresh. <laughs> so what Ian is very correctly uh, referring to here is that, so um, we for, oh, Ian, take a breath. Trek culture. Oh, cinema scenes. There we go. Cool. Yeah. Um, so we obviously we did our breakdowns of it, had loads of fun doing it, but 
just the nature of how everything came out. It was go, 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 go. And um, you were nonstop. You were writing. It was hard. Seriously. Like, have, there yeah. was, I didn't have any TikTok sent to me for about six hours. So I actually, I sent someone round to your parents to make sure you were all right. And that, like, in fairness, that normally means I'm dead. Like, yeah. But um, yeah, now I have to say, uh, this is obviously a different medium. I don't think he listens to this, but Chris Thompson, our editor for Trek Culture. I guarantee like, Chris does not listen to this. It's very, very possible. <laughs> easily like i did a lot of work and he doubled that like yeah. he like so between the pair of us now we got to so thursday morning obviously 6 a.m these various trailers and everything came out start your day aside we do lower decks ups and downs on a thursday right because uh, we have a vpn and we have access to paramount plus in america and so yeah, we fine. we just you know we, we yeah. watch it get it turned around and get it out so that internet yeah lives and dies on news but we're like, there's no way. We will not have a chance to do Lower Decks today. We'll do our breakdown mm-hmm. videos. We did Strange New Worlds and we did uh, Picard on Thursday. And then yeah. going into Friday. you've got to be the first out of the gate with that stuff. To be honest, you do, I mean, look, you do. Uh, and whether we are or not, and there were people that got out faster than us, and to which yeah. I say, lads, fair play. Because mm. we were stretched and fair play to everyone who did. But uh, where was I going with that? Yeah, so we'd gone into Friday going, right, we'll do Lower Decks and Prodigy. Mike McMahon, because I know you're listening to this, I love you, Mike McMahon. I'm so grateful for Lower Decks. You're hilarious. (laughs) But did you have to put 89 fucking Easter eggs in your Star Trek day, Lower Decks? (laughs) And of course, of course you did. It's Star Trek Day. It's a celebration of the whole franchise. But my God. So we got to about... It was about four o'clock on Friday afternoon or something. I realize this is still the news section, but anyway, about four o'clock on Friday afternoon, and I sort of like the mood had switched. It was a bit, we'd yes. gone from it was so exciting. So, to the feedback from the first two videos started coming in, and I don't do comments. Like, I'm sorry, guys, if you are, uh, and I'm, I mean that with respect because you get so many lovely comments and mm-hmm. really, really, really appreciate that. I do, and I'm not just saying that for the sake of. And then you get just the, obviously, like, I'm not going to name it, but an example would be, oh, you know, you missed this angle on this thing, at this thing, at this thing. It's just like, okay, yeah, and you get one or two of those, and you're like, yeah, okay, whatever. How can but you they, call yourself a fan? Yeah, but there was there was, there was was a pickup on one thing. I'm not going into it. If you've seen the tweets, you know what the story is. I'm, I'm not bothering now, but it didn't spoil the two days but it was a bit i was getting really fucking self-pitying yeah, it was now, going clown. into friday evening i was a bit like yeah. lads do you have any idea the amount of work that has just gone into the last four days to yeah. make content for you for free yeah that was mm. anyway right, i mean I, it's I, not it's, like you've yeah. confused a reman with a romulan either these two mm. the andorians and enars look identical other than skin color and eye color like they are the honest, same yeah. thing like, and everyone's like, oh, you've clearly never watched Enterprise. I'm like, yes, I have. Babel 1, United. Yes, I have seen these episodes. Like, I have yeah. the model sitting on my shelf. Give somebody a break. Now, anyway, right, that is the worst thing I will ever say. And I just want to really, really reiterate. I'm not saying this to be like, you know, oh, safe and save my job. The amount of love that came in over those two days was incredible. And it was just so, so nice. I was just like, yeah, by the end of it, it was just like, and I felt really bad for Enars in general. Because by the end of it, it was like, you could fuck your Enar out a fucking window <laughs> at this point. And decompress I, that fucking cargo bay. I hope he gets Tasha Yard in in, in episode twenty. <laughs> or no, episode one of Strange New Worlds. Huh? Whose oil slick is this? No, Enar. No. So Strange New Worlds, we didn't exactly get a trailer, but we did get an introduction to the bridge crew, which is, I think, a really, really clever way of doing it. Um, loved it, and I love seeing the like the cool representation that we're getting. Um. Mm. on on the bridge of the enterprise 
Yes. And now we've only kind of got snippets of the bridge so far, but it looks really, really nice. Because I love what they did in Discovery. Like I love that updated. Yeah. It's still, it's clearly still the bridge of the Enterprise. It's just yes. updated to fit in with the Discovery aesthetic, which... Fine. Yeah, cool. I have seen very polarizing opinions on the uniforms. I love them. I'm I love hands it. in the air. I love them. I love it. If it... If anything, it's closer to the original series exactly. uniforms. So what's wrong with that? I don't uh, get it. I mean, I, I love the uh, the uh, Pike's uniform in Discovery, like when they first the Enterprise first turns up in season two. That is top tier uniform for me. That is right up there with TNG. The the shoulder pads, the collar. I love it. I'd love them to stick with it, but I see why they're not. I'm <laughs> I'm already checking, guys. If you have a link, you, uh, you know I'm the cosplay guy. Come to me. Yeah. I want those uniforms by sheer. This has to be happening after Discovery as well. So Of course it is. Yeah. I, I can't, this this came up in conversations the other day. We were trying to place it timeline-wise. I was like, no, no, no. I think because we were talking about where does the cage fit in timeline-wise. Obviously, the cage is five years, I think, before Discovery. Because I think... Because um, the cage... No, only... Spock, Spock served with Pike for, 10, for 13 years, I think. And I, I think the cage was 10 years before the pilot before the man trap uh, I'm sure there's a 10 year gap I think I think you're right and also do you know what I've just realized now the short trek Q&A they're wearing the discovery uniforms yeah so and that's Ensign Spock and I think this is Lieutenant Spock in Strange New Worlds yes so, it is definitely Lieutenant yeah that's what I was going to think so this has to be happening after season 2 of discovery, which is I mean sorry it, I'm splitting hairs but just like oh where when and yeah. where is this going to happen no it definitely yeah. is Um, I think they've actually timed it so that there's about 7 years between this and the cage I genuinely think that's where it slots in Um, as in the cage be 7 years behind it because the cage happened before Discovery because remember the Talosians rock up in Discovery if memory serves uh, and Pike sees Vina and they go to Talos 4 uh, Burnham and Spock go to Talos 4 I didn't think that had happened yet no so that's what I mean so all of Discovery is unless they've mucked about with the timeline all of Discovery has happened is after the cage but before Strange New Worlds got it so so this will be in that case I think this is seven years before the man trap is mm. what I'm getting at sorry yes with you now I was kind of like wait a minute that was a hard left but no I'm with you now I'm with you now yeah (laughs) Um, timelines it doesn't matter but do you know it's what so it means broken. and this is what I love it means Uhura predates Kirk on the Enterprise uh, yeah Strange New Worlds is going to be great I love it I can't wait I'm yeah. really really excited for that show um, really, that really was quickly, all the trailers wasn't it uh, Picard, uh, Picard. Uh, trailer looks really good um, Prodigy looks fantastic we covered that yeah. Discovery we didn't get a trailer for Discovery we just got sorry here's the news release dates Discovery is October and Prodigy is November. So for the first time since Voyager, we'll have two Trek shows airing like at the same time. It's both DS9 and Voyager were airing at the same time. Yeah. So oh, we'll that's have... so good. I love yeah. it. It's good. And Picard is definitely going into the past. Um... Yes. 21st century. And we have confirmation. Sanctuary District. So which means the past tense episodes of DS9 are going to be addressed in some way or yep. another. And the Bell Rides f- will be there in some way. A few very sharp-eyed people, I think Albie among them, spotted that the guy in the interrogation room with Picard at the end of the trailer looks very like the first officer of Relativity. So, but it's not is, just that; it's the same actor. But is that confirmed? Because I can't find a confirmation of that. But it, it does. I mean, he looks so like him. Oh, I'm sure it's the same actor. Uh, yeah, like, like I'm sure terms, it is. It's a hell of a coincidence if it isn't. Put it that yeah. way. And hundred uh, percent. Some people were saying, is Captain... No, because Captain Braxton would have been 96. Yeah, because he had crashed in the 60s and they found him in the 90s. Uh, that's in Voyager's yeah. Future... Uh, Future's End. I was like, what, what is the name Future's of this End, episode? yeah. What is this? It's a good day Good day for Star Trek. It's going to be a good year for Star Trek. Um, and I cannot wait. Yay! Right, let's go talk about this movie. 
Yes. Cool. I'd be so interested um, to see how much of that actually survives to the final edit. Fucking hell, I haven't got a clue, mate. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to conclude our um, menu with dessert, even though it's probably the amuse-bouche. <laughs> Nicely done. <laughs> um, with Red Dragon, which sees the return of, uh, I was going to say Ted Lasso. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not Ted Lasso. Um, Ted Talley um, in the writing chair, and my goodness, does it show. Um, yes, it does. We see the famous Will... Will now, I'm going to say Will Graham, because that is the English way of saying Graham. And the only his last name oh, yeah. is G-R-A-H-A-M. Graham. But the way that the Americans say Graham is Graham. FBI agent Will Graham, we join him as he's apprehended Anthony Hopkins' Hannibal Lecter again. Um, and this brings to a conclusion their relation, their professional relationship of Hannibal helping him catch people, which we see in the TV show Hannibal, which I now immediately want to rewatch. Oh yeah. Um, snap, quick cut to Hannibal's trial. Will being put into, he's being, he's institutionalized for a little bit um, after being brutally stabbed, and kind of retires off until he's redrafted to capture a new serial killer, the Tooth Fairy. Of course, they also draft in Hannibal Lecter. Shenanigans ensue. I have just read something really, really interesting. Um, so, I never knew this. So, Francis Dollarhide, who is the Red Dragon in this film, uh, played yeah. by Ray Fiennes, and uh, I'm correcting I'm correcting a past Sean here as well, so don't worry, it's not Ralph Fiennes, it's Ray Fiennes. Uh, I've yes. made that mistake many times in oh, my life. Oh, many, yeah. Um, so... He was based on the BTK killer, which I didn't know. Now, I'm only he would be familiar to people who have watched Mindhunter on Netflix. And also people like myself who enjoy reading Wait, material. No, I've, wa- I've watched that as well. Uh, which one's that? So he is the, I think in season one, he's the recurring guy that you see kind of getting ready to become a serial killer. Do you know what I mean? Isn't like, he's the oh, guy? Oh, in the house. Yeah. Yes, 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 oh. yes. I so, remember. And he wasn't actually apprehended until 2005. Oh, bloody um, hell. Yeah, he got away with it for a long time. And he was the inspiration for Dollarhide. Not necessarily, oh, I think, the, um, the the psychological split, but I think no. it's some of the crimes. Yeah, I didn't I didn't actually know that. Um, so, first impressions, what do you think of the movie? Where does it sit for you? How do you like it? So, um, I suppose this is a spoiler, if you like, for how I'm going to rank the series. But for me, this comes below silence, but above Hannibal. In terms of an yeah. enjoyable watching experience, this is yeah. a. It is a better movie than Hannibal. I will say that. Like I, all the things oh, I like about Hannibal. Have a listen to our episode last week. There's a lot of defense going on, but this one, this is a sequel slash prequel to Silence, where Hannibal yeah. didn't really feel like it was. No, so these films are in the same genre, whereas Hannibal is not. That's not the same genre as Silence of the Lambs or this. But this is absolutely a return to the format of Silence of the Lambs where it's capturing a serial killer that isn't Hannibal Lecter but Hannibal Lecter is helping um, and I think one of the big benefits is that you haven't had to recast anybody other than um, what's his name, the FBI, head of the FBI Agent Oh, Jack Ryan. Crawford Crawford. Yeah. and if you're going to recast him recasting him as Harvey Keitel is a pretty solid solid I th- pick like I, I, I really like Scott Glenn in the original, but yes. with all respect to Scott Glenn in Silence, he doesn't have as much to do as Harvey Keitel's Jack Crawford does. No, you know? exactly. No. And also Harvey Keitel just oozes charisma. Yeah, of um, course, it does whatever he's doing. Here, here's a question, because you have seen the TV show, right? Correct, yeah. Scott Glenn, Harvey Keitel, 
Lawrence Fishburne. Oh man, Lawrence Har- Lawrence Harvey and the other one. Exactly the same for me. Yeah. Yeah. Now obviously we have more Lawrence, so you have more to work with. But I just yeah love. But Lawrence is he's he Fishburne's Crawford is so good. He plays that character so with such a complexity. He's brilliant, and you just you want him to find. Out. It's the equivalent of Breaking Bad. Like you really want him. To discover Hannibal, and you want him to be the person that figures it out. You just you're rooting for him to be a success. I need to do a rewatch of Hannibal. I really do. Same. Oh God, because I tell you what, as well, there was that seemingly huge gap between seasons two and three. Yes. And between that, life happened, so I'd fallen well out of the habit yeah. of watching it. So, and then during lockdown, uh, it all arrived on Netflix. So I was like, "Grand, I'll stick on season three now." No go back and start in season one because I, I actually struggled oh, with season to. three it's yeah. so like it's stylistically the exact same but no go back and start yeah, with season you one have again. To start a, yeah no, I yeah. think I'm gonna have to do that because I didn't actually finish season three um annoyingly um, uh, same well don't worry so I also have not seen the end of season three so excellent cool we can't spoil excellent. it for each other <laughs> but yeah this film is an entirely different beast too <laughs> you dirty beast <laughs> oh god <laughs> no nice. yeah. Um, it's an entirely different beast to Hannibal. Um, it's so much more satisfying to watch. Um, Edward Norton is brilliant. I really like this performance. It's one of those understated Norton performances. Um, I buy the trauma and I buy what he's going through. I buy his reasoning behind catching the serial killer. It's just in his nature. He can't know that he could be of use and sit idly by Um and the personal sacrifice that he goes through, he just like doesn't care, does he? He's like, it's fine. I know that talking to Hannibal is going to really fuck me up. But if this saves one more person, then it's worth doing it. Because it's funny, right? Because Edward Norton, allegedly, 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 ha- apparently is a very difficult actor to work with, right? He is because he's so deeply involved all the time. And that Definitely. can yeah. be quite a struggle. It's one of the reasons Mark Ruffalo now plays the Hulk. I think he is honestly phenomenal in this I think there's something very easy about watching Edward Norton when he's on form. You know, he's just, you get sucked in straight away. Yeah. He's still very much, he's not, I mean, he's by no means is he a Pacino or a Nicholson in terms of like, oh, so you will be playing Pacino and Nicholson. No. But it's always, it's similar enough that it's like, oh, so it's Edward Norton then. Yeah. But it's like, it works. Yeah, so he has a very well recognisable tone and the way that, just really the way he speaks, he has one of those very recognisable voices. The, the, the parallel between him and Clarice, I really, really, really enjoy that. That Hannibal has taken an interest in them, but they're two people at the very different ends of their careers. Mm. Obviously, Will is at the end of his um, for multiple reasons, but the, the fact that they are very interesting, insightful people that Hannibal has identified and taken an interest in. Um, it's why the two films work so well side by side. They are the same movie, but with different characters. That's true. And there's there's an animosity between Graham and Lecter that there I isn't. I love that so yeah. much. Graham is so much more like, take the deal or fuck off. Like, you're that. either going to do this or you're not. And as much as Clarice might say that, she never means it. She Hannibal always, always has the upper hand with her because they've only just met. Whereas Graham and um, Hannibal have got this years-long relationship where Hannibal now knows Graham better than his wife does. So And, and vice versa, Graham knows Hannibal as well. It's like, well, it doesn't matter. You're either going to do this or you're not. There's no games yeah. I can play with you. Um, so fuck off with your nonsense. Are you going to do this? 
<laughs> and and like that sums it up to a T. It's brilliant. And also there's there's sorry a big difference as well because you know that Lecter either wants to protect Clarice from be it obviously Hannibal leads it down the sexual route. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, d- I didn't get that so much from Silence. Uh, I'm not saying it's wrong. Like, you know, no. it, it happens in the and novels. Now that I've you know? seen all three, I'm yeah. dismissive of Hannibal as a character study so much more. Like, there's so much in that that is inconsistent with what we see in Red Dragon and Silence. That's true. I, I, I said this last week, I'll say it again. I like Julianne more. I think she was she was hampered by she was following Jodie Foster and mm. you know Clarice Starling is she's she might not be at Ripley levels of you know exactly who she no. is straight away yeah. and iconic you know cinema. I think she's probably up there though. But she, but like that she wouldn't be far off it. You know that's a very very hard job to follow. So I think yeah I think more so Julie, Julianne Moore was hampered by having to follow that and also. I'm sorry, but the script for Hannibal is a lot weaker than it's nothing both like this. It's on a different for... level. Absolutely, and that is where because I was, I was obviously I was texting you during this, and I was I I saw this movie when it came out, um, and then a few years went by. Don't actually know how many since I saw this last, because I was watching it going like I can hang on, I can play this in my head. Yeah, I've seen it that many times, but I actually forgotten how good it was. So honestly, God, honestly, I'm now if you put. Silence of the Lambs is this isn't a strict comparison this isn't what we're trying to do Silence of the Lambs is the superior movie it is it's a work of art but Red Dragon is for me the more watchable one like I enjoy more of Red Dragon like I the Hannibal stuff in Silence is untouchable but Mm. I enjoy I think that all of the stuff with the the tooth fairy killer um, with Francis is done way way better than um, Gum is done because I think it's yeah. done way way better because it's more there's more depth to why he is the way he is. Gum's backstory is a bit more basic of he's evil for the sake of being evil and the other stuff we know is handled poorly. With Francis, there's so much more depth to it and there's you don't root for him by any means but there's a bit of him that you absolutely root for because he doesn't want to kill your lady what's her name sorry reba reba doesn't want to kill her wants to save her from the red dragon that's in his head and he's just so conflicted he's such a broken person and he's been broken by somebody else he wasn't born evil he was you're you're so right he was made into what he is and they say Um, that in the film uh you're right. Oh, I was thinking. I was like, and oh, here's this deep. I was like, no, no, they, they literally they say, literally words, say that. You're yeah. absolutely right. Um, <laughs> yeah, everyone skipped that bit of the film. Um, but and there is one. It's it's longer than a frame, but it's a blink and you'll miss it moment in the film where, like you said, I don't. I at no point do I ever root for Dollar Hyde because no. you don't want him to keep doing. But at this point, I was like, maybe he can be saved, mm. and it's in it's. Spoiler, it's in the very end of the film and Will Graham comes into the house and you have, you can hear the the answering machine. Uh, Jack Crawford is actually like, you know, kind of, Will, get your family and get the hell yeah, out of there. And he, and he goes upstairs and it, there he is. Dollarhide has Graham's son by the throat with a shard of glass up mm-hmm. to his eye. And he's like, I'm going to basically destroy you. And Will turns the tables on him. And it's, it's not, Will starts to use the exact language that's from mr d's diary which we'll yeah. go back to now in a second and these really deliberately triggering words and this is the blinking you'll miss it moment he goes from shard of glass to the kid's eye 
yeah. putting a protective arm around him. It's so good. It's gorgeous. Oh my God. And I remember watching it the first time and this time going, I can't believe I just thought, like yeah. in a, in another, if, if we know he wasn't, but if Graham was being serious, I just switched allegiances. Oh, 100%. It's such a, gee, this is why I have so much respect for the character of Will Graham and how, damn it, Will Graham and how he's been written because this is a finale that and we've jumped right to the end, thank you Sean yeah. this is a finale that is so satisfying, it's not mental, It's that's all that Will has is, like they say throughout the film that Dullahide is a powerful man he has to be strong, so he can't win this fight like he did with Hannibal, he has to use his brain and he does and he turns him against it and that little it's just the arm movement that goes from holding on to him to cuddling the kid Oh, it's a stroke of genius. Such a good bit yeah. of filmmaking. And in that moment, Will has saved his son. Because yeah. we know as an audience, everything uh, Dollarhide is doing now mm-hmm. is to destroy this terrible father. I mean, also, I'm sure he... I'm sure... Well, no, because in destroy Will, as in oh, Will is this yes, bad yes, father. Sorry. Yeah. And then, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's, it's such a... Like, is this film perfect? No, it absolutely isn't. But this is a fantastic scene. It is, and it's one of the reasons this film is so good. Yeah. You know, it's so it's, clever. Such a clever scene. And yeah. you can tell that it's where I want to know more about Will because he is definitely a broken individual because he switches to that very easily. Like, I know if you've got the choice in front of you, either my son dies or I say this horrible stuff to him and fix it later. But he commits so mm. hard. Like, he just... He has scarred his child. Like... I know he's going to be scarred no matter what because he's just been held captive, but there's a lot of undoing that you've got to do there after the stuff and, he said. And I'm I'm sure it's in the film, so it's escaped me now, but I don't know how old his son is, but like he'll have to sit down, right, let's say Red Dragon 2, um, and he has to sit down and go, right, here's who this man was, here's why this man came here, there's the, the stuff you will tell, the stuff you won't tell. Yeah. Here's why I said the things that I did. Yeah, but you were... You're, you know, a, a, a kid could just be like, yeah, but you hurt me. Yeah. I'm just like, how do I... So there is a, a fascinating coda to this film, uh-huh. which I think we've been through enough in our hearts at this point that I really don't want to see this coda. But, no, yeah. no it's like, I really don't. Where he goes, Daddy, you hurt me. No, I just saved your life. Did it for reasons. Um, but no, that, that, that whole thing, the arc with Will, is is so much more satisfying than, than Hannibal. The only thing I'd say compared to Hannibal is that this film doesn't correct me if if you think I'm wrong, but this film doesn't have that one scene. So there's some great conversations between Hannibal and Will. There's all sorts of cool stuff that happens, but there isn't that one scene. Like Hannibal has the the opera scene and yeah. then leading into Patsy's death scene. I would say like that and Ray Liotta's brain. You've got two set pieces there that are super memorable there's nothing in red dragon that's the same the closest it comes to is freddie lounge death yeah so philip seymour hoffman being glued to the chair that's as close as it gets yeah Uh, and you're right like that's and the the wheelchair being on fire yeah yeah, that's it yeah there's that wheelchair being on fire it's not just the act of violence it's the Mm -hmm. and fun fact that was done for realsies, there was an actor in that chair, so obviously you can oh, only you can feel see like Twitch. you've got to go really, really fast because you can yeah. only do this for a few seconds, um, which is yeah. really cool because in isolation, and this is my damaged brain, it's hilarious because of, not because of what's happening, but because of your man's reaction. 
Yeah, <laughs> just as he's watching it go by, he's like, yeah. Well, that's oh something goodness. you don't see every day. Um, and it, like objectively, it could be quite funny. And I think maybe that's, again, what contributes to it not being the standout moment mm-hmm. is because, as you say, like, God, how, how many times this past week have we said, you're lost in the opera today? Yeah, I'm lost in the opera today. This yep. is so lovely. Um, and silence, I mean, take your pick. That's yeah, a film the, whole, the whole film is. Yeah, absolutely. But the, uh, and the other problem is that I don't care that he died. <laughs> He's a horrible person. Like, he does despicable, despicable things. He's not just... He's a journalist. He's a lawyer. So we must hate them because of their profession. He's a journalist that does despicable things and took pictures of Will while he was basically in a coma, impersonates FBI officers. He does not care. He has to get the story. And it's not even for the sake of the truth. You can tell this is glory, that he needs the exclusive. His name has got to be on it. So I don't care that he dies. Yes, and, you know, like Philip Seymour Hoffman does a great job because he's so likable in so many other things and he's so despicable in this. So it's like, yeah, when no, he does evil, he is, I think he's best when he does evil. Like Mission Impossible 3. I, I know he's it. the baddie in that, but I've not seen it. Oh, it's so, so it's yeah. the best bit of that film. He, it's the best bit of that first trilogy, for sure. Gotcha. Um, in... Like, in a way, I feel a little bit bad in terms of the writing of Freddie Lance. I mean, there you'd have to work up to one-dimensional. Like he is, <laughs> we need someone to be a dickhead. Yes. This is going to be Freddie Lance. And, it's, and he's going to be the sleazy journalist, and he's going to be, you know, everything you think he's going to be. There you go. Um, one thing that the TV series does for the character is, first of all, they gender swap. So uh, she becomes Freddie Lance. Okay. And there's, like, I mean this is the benefit of a TV series. You get more of this character, so there's more mm-hmm. room. Not so much for development, oh, but just like... Oh, shit, the bed. I know exactly the, who you mean now. I the just redhead. didn't connect the names. Yes. Yeah. 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 And she uh, is so, yeah. despicable. In, She's all about yeah. getting the scoop, getting the mm-hmm. uh, getting the exclusive. And it's a real... I mean, it, it's a real caricature of... With a lot of truth, uh, of these tabloid journalists, these yeah, paparazzi... Uh, because I believe Thomas Harris started life as a journalist before he re- wrote the novels. Oh, interesting. That makes sense. Um, so I wonder, is this a little bit of self-loathing going yeah. on here? Man, or... I had to make some money, but boy, did I hate what they were asking me to do. Oh, yeah, bloody right, because, yeah, like, I mean, these are the ambulance chase. I know they're uh, lawyers, but, you know, these are the ambulance chaser yeah. type people. Um, mm. Poor El Silf- poor old philip seymour hoffman philip Seymour uh, hoffman <laughs> that's the one uh brief but beautiful I, yeah. I i liked how much i hated him even though yeah. it was completely one do you know what how do you feel about this as a description it was one dimensional but it wasn't one note correct yeah i think that's a good way of putting it yeah absolutely yeah because he's still i mean that's philip seymour hoffman's acting though he still mm. he suddenly becomes a desperate man bargaining to get out and his scruples are still the same he would have read anything it'd have said horrible slurs about his mother if it would have got him out of that situation the only thing i think they could have you're getting towards the back end of the movie here so maybe that's why but the only thing they could have done but didn't was will's guilt so he should have felt and i wish we'd seen a bit yeah. more guilt towards it because that's what's that's an interesting character study because he he hates freddy so much he can't keep his hands off of him and he's had to He's hated that he's even given him this scoop in order to trap um, Dollarhide, but he couldn't hate him anymore. And then suddenly the man's dead because of what he's done to him. 
So that should have been really complicated and he should have felt a bit more conflicted. But I, I know Hannibal brings it up and says, how do you feel about murdering your first person? But he's kind of blasé about it, isn't he? He totally doesn't feel any guilt. Yeah, and that's like, more I, interesting if he had. I like that. I like what Craw- so Crawford is the only character, other than, as you say, <laughs> yes. other than Hannibal, who just addresses us. Get over we can it. either let this tear, tear us up nuts or like, a man's dead. There's two families dead. Like, come on. Yeah. Get we can your, either get make the most together. of it or we can dwell on it. Exactly. And yeah. I, but I realise it's different actors, but the character development, I suppose this is a prequel, so technically we shouldn't see that development. But what I mean is that we've seen this in Crawford before. Yes. It's very procedural. We'll see it again. Yeah. Yeah. One thing leads to another, you yeah. know, and it's 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 always bigger picture. So he probably was fully aware of the fact that they were hanging Freddie out to dry. Yeah. You know? Um, they must whereas, have known that was a risk. Will probably was as well, because how often did they talk about his gift of being able to see inside the killer's mind? Yeah. Um, and maybe that's, oh, actually, now I'm thinking this out loud, but maybe that's why he doesn't really react to the news. It's because he saw this and did his whatever amount of mourning yeah. before they even invited Freddy perhaps. to do the interview. Yeah, perhaps. Now, maybe that's not overthinking it. That's literally why we do a podcast. But maybe that's kind of assigning <laughs> too much to sense to it. But yeah, there should have been a kind of a... Hannibal says, you committed your first murder. How did it feel? Even something like, I did what needed to be done. Yeah, or I would have bought more like, that doesn't make me a murderer. Like him trying to talk himself out of it. Yeah, of, well, I didn't kill him. This is still on... Dollarhide or something, but uh, there's a reason we don't make movies. <laughs> oh, but actually, then I've written the next line in my head. It's like, all right, Will. Well, then on that logic, if someone dies from a stab wound, and you were the one holding the knife, did you kill them or did the knife kill them? Yeah. As in, you used Dollarhide as your tool. Yes. Yeah. yeah exactly. Uh, yeah, by the way, if you hold the knife, you killed them. You are like, the just yeah. just in case there's any kind of like confusion there. Yeah. You did it. You're a fucking killer. Guns so, do, pe- do guns do kill people, but so do people. Yeah. Yeah. Guns kill people, people kill people, people with guns kill more people. That is true. What is it? To use a Frankie Boyle joke from ages ago. <laughs> How do I say this? Gun beats spear. Yes. <laughs> That's very true. Um, so while we're on performances, Anthony Hopkins, um, I don't think he's bad in Hannibal at all. I think he's great, but he did become a bit of a cartoon character, almost, mm. especially towards the end. Um, this is a, as you'd expect, a huge return to Silence of the Lambs um, and the the very thoughtful, speechy person that we have in that. There's something that he's done. He, he's done it silence less does it in Hannibal but less so and does it again here and it's that it's the way he stares now I don't yes. necessarily mean like in, in silence you have the obviously we, we think you said it blinks once in the entire film yeah. it's not just that although that's a part of it it's you know he might say something and he'll just hold the gaze for yeah. a few seconds the first example of it is at the dinner table in the very beginning and <laughs> the, if I told you you wouldn't eat it but exactly yeah and and uh, as a John Rubenstein's character uh, he goes, you know, these are, you know, these are the event of the year, and he's he's very he's very gracious, and and again holds that stare. Mm-hmm. So even in when he's being nice, he's still doing it, and it's really just unsettling. Yeah, how does anyone in this room not immediately know he's a murderer? <laughs> how do you? Oh not yeah, like know you know, that? kind of like, where is Raspail? He's sitting on the table in front of you. He's not yeah. missing. 
And the only one right. that should really feel bad is that, well, Hannibal should, but the only other person that should really feel bad is um, this stupid, one of the members of the company that's like, um, yeah, I'm kind of glad he's missing because he was a hideous flautist. Yep. I was like, yeah. what? No, that doesn't Listen, mean you tell wish you- him dead because you didn't have the balls to kick him off. Well, you've clearly never been on the board of a of an orchestra. Sometimes dead waste, you know, deserves a cannibalism. Yeah, it's not my tempo. Hannibal is the man. Hannibal but, and Fletcher would absolutely get along. Like, oh Fletcher is feeding Hannibal, Hannibal people, isn't he? Because <laughs> Hannibal would respect Fletcher. Oh, because Fletcher would only be rude to you if you weren't hitting his tempo. So I think they'd be great mates. Yeah, I, I think, think Hannibal so. would absolutely yeah. hit his tempo. It's rude that this person is wasting Fletcher's time. That's how he sees it. Because you could absolutely. say it's rude that Hannibal kills people. Like, this is that a crossover is we never knew that we needed. This yeah. is absolutely the crossover. Man, this is the the universe of villains that we need. I would love that so much. Um, I actually, um, I think I remember on the first watch, first of all, I've just got to say, I've just got to get this out of the way 48 minutes into the podcast. Hate the ponytail. Looks stupid. Uh, Sorry. I get it. But he had longer hair in the flashback in Hannibal. He had the ponytail there as well, so it's consistent at least. I'd forgotten that. I'll give you that. Still hate it, but I'll give you that. Oh, I hate it. Um, bald man with ponytail. I mean, do whatever you want, but just be bald. Um, uh, kind of like, eventually, my day is coming, and I will, and I will look, go Jean-Luc. You will look like a sexy man for it as well. Thank you very much. Uh, until then, I am an ugly amorphous blob. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> that is absolutely fine, and I this know is my why, place. This is why we do audio. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I do, I really enjoy the, I suppose, the initial, the capture of Hannibal. I really enjoy that. I yeah, think that's a that great opening scene, scene is... For, I don't like the trope of having to open with action to capture mm. your audience's attention. I think that's overdone and a bit insulting. However, it is a beautiful sequence. Um, it's so, so good. Um, Hannibal just plunging the knife in. Um, and Will trying to talk himself out of it. Like, he knows Hannibal is the, the killer. I mean, his name rhymes with Hannibal. So, but he's at that point, he's talking himself out of it because he's like, it can't be Hannibal because I would have seen it. I've worked with this man for years. How could he have done this under my nose? So, no, it must be somebody else. But there's a point where he can't deny it. And that point is currently like kind of in his spleen. Nice, nice. <laughs> um, it's remarkable, boy. I do admire your courage. I think I'll eat your heart. I think that's quite the compliment. <laughs> um, this is one of the, and it's clever. And this is this carries over from... Hannibal and Silence as well. The look on Hannibal's face here, they do kind of seem to reserve it for those terrifying moments of where yeah. he loses control. Mm-hmm. Well, he doesn't because he had a feckin' cardiogram on him. And yeah. he was like, oh, well, your, your heartbeat's under 80. But that look of pure, oh, I'm dead. Yes. Oh, that's, that's, this, this, this is game yeah. over. I'm dead. Uh, and this is the look on his face there. Yeah. Um, and if it wasn't for, honestly, if it wasn't for Hannibal being so fancy and having a full bow and arrow set in his office, <laughs> well, Will was dead. dead. Yeah, should yeah. be dead. Absolutely. No, it's a great opening. I really like it. And it gives us enough backstory. It play, it does mm. such a succinct job of backstory, relationship, complicated stuff. The montage is a little bit lazy, but it gets us to where we need to be to tell the actual story, which is Dollarhide. One of the things that for me, uh, and this is in the negative column on Red Dragon, is could have done with a few less jump cuts. Mm-hmm. Uh, silence doesn't do that. No. And that and it makes it stronger for it. Now, that's it's not unique to this film in any way. You know, this is cinema has changed since 1990. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Uh, bear in but mind, it, so I'm going to do a Sean thing, which for the record, I hate. 
we are further... I hate you too, you prick! You'll know exactly what I mean. We are further apart from this film than Red Dragon is from Silence. I'm okay with this. I'm okay with this. Not very okay. Red Dragon and Silence okay are 12 years apart, and we are 19 years removed from this What was film. it we were saying that Return of the Jedi and Phantom Menace are closer together than we are to Phantom Menace? Yeah, that's the one that fucked me off. <laughs> I was like, enough, yeah. no, I'm done. <laughs> it's like, stop doing these comparisons. This is not okay. We are yeah. closer to World War One than we are to the pyramids. Yes, of course we are. Fine. Sure, there's only what Ian, there's only 14 years separate the motion picture and DS9 Is that it? Yeah That means there's more space between us and Enterprise DS9 premiered 28 years ago Uh, DS9 would have been uh, 93 Yeah, 93, yeah Shit Yeah, it was 79, you're right Yeah We're more removed from the finale of Enterprise than DS9 is from the motion picture. <laughs> the finale. Yep. In fact, we're the, you know what? We are rapidly approaching being further away from the J.J. Abrams Star Trek than we are. <laughs> well, with Star Trek's... And sorry, guys, for who have to listen to this. With Star Trek's 55th birthday, uh-huh. this... Gone. That puts us five years away from the 50th, which means we are now longer away from the 50th anniversary than Enterprise ran for. Yeah, Enterprise ran for less than 9% of Star Trek's entire run. Anyway, back to Red Dragon. Back to Red Dragon! This is Star Trek Stats, brought to you by two men who are in their 30s and wish they were And struggling with that, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, okay, so there's 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 a few uh, different... Of I, I love the return... Oh, go for it. No, go for it, sorry. Uh, I was going to say Reba. Um, Thank you. That, yeah. that arc is conflictingly beautiful it is it is one of my favorite love stories it is so there's something so pure and innocent about it in the most corrupt and uninnocent way um but it's she she is so desperate to get underneath his skin he is so desperate to allow himself to love her i know i did that deliberately well played Um, well played it is such a loving relationship that can't ever happen and can't ever be truly healthy um she she is the life boy for him yeah like she's the only chance he will ever have of yeah i mean it's already too late he's killed two families you know but he in theory she's the only chance he's ever going to have to she's the remnants of his conscience yeah and like that's the thing as well he does have human emotion like he's not i mean he is a monster in his actions Hmm. But he's not so irredeemable well, the problem, with a with the big question yeah. mark. The problem you is know. that he thinks he's liberating people. So he truly yeah. believes that he is giving them a better life. And that's that's the problem. He doesn't think he's evil because he thinks he's doing the dragon's work. Well that's it as well. And isn't it don't they say like all none of the best villains consider themselves villains? Yeah, it's all shades of grey, isn't it? I suppose this is where Hannibal breaks that trope because Hannibal knows what he is yeah um, Hannibal's really again, hard to because he's this is what happens when people get bored like he's bored so he starts eating people he does this for the game more than anything else exactly because 
simply being, to use uh, Chilton's words, simply being a psychopath does not make you a murderer. No. You know, this yeah, is just exactly. how he chooses to express yeah. whatever need is inside him. Uh, and just actually thinking of that, wonderful to see Anthony, I think, is it healed? Healed. H-E-A-L-D. Yeah, healed. yeah. That was a nice uh, return. Wonderful to see him back. Uh, yeah. Uh, he dialed uh, it up as well. Like, I thought he was a scumbag in the first one, but I think he dials it up even more in this one. And that was because I think, now again, so retroactively, so something that Red Dragon does very well is it makes him impotent next to Will Graham, which sort of feeds back into why he's such a prick to Clarice. Oh, it makes it this is the second person that Hannibal would rather talk to. Um, and Will is just even more brutal with him than Clarice oh, is. Oh, Will has no time for him. Yeah, oh, he's, yeah, like, he's not no, even pleasant. Yeah, yeah. Not, not at all. Um, and a guy is um, a scumbag. Uh, I, just, I accidentally saw your rejection letter from the academy <laughs> from the archives. I am sorry. <laughs> so good. I accidentally opened your mail. Yeah, so funny. <laughs> uh, also returning is Frankie Faison, uh, who has been Barney in yeah, Silence and Hannibal and Red Dragon, and I've just learned also was in, although played a different character, Manhunter. Oh, interesting. Cool. Yeah, that so... was before all of this. Yeah, so he's not, right, in Rise, he's not in Rising, is he? I will tell you now. I'm just clicking onto his IMTB. I'm going to assume no, no, but I will check for you now. Because if he was, like, there should be a bigger deal of that. Surely that makes him the only one in. Oh, he was in The Expanse. I did not know this. While you're searching okay. for that, he's also yeah. he plays Barney in another bit of media. Um, so there's a YouTube channel, Epic Rap, Epic Rap Battles of History. Um, oh yeah, it's a comedy channel. I absolutely love them. They're so clever. And they did Hannibal Lecter versus Jack the Ripper. And what, are you telling me no or he's not in? Oh, I said no, he's not in oh, Hannibal usually, Rising, When you sorry. shake your head like that, it means you're going to get cancelled. <laughs> so immediately uh, stop. Which I have needed to do three or four times in this episode. But no, not this time. <laughs> so he plays Barney in that because he wheels on oh, no the guy that's playing Hannibal. Um, and the guys themselves were just like, we can't believe we got him to agree to do this. And it's it's brilliant. It's so, so good. Thank you, that's Barney. Re- that's really fun. I'm, I'm, I'm really happy to hear that. That's really cool. I love so when good. people lean into yes. not only the joke of things, but they're just like... This is my know. identity. I This is yeah. what I am. Yeah. Emily Watson. Sorry, just to cycle back for a second. Emily Watson mm-hmm. plays Reba, and I think she's brilliant as Reba. Yeah. Uh, she's really... She's not helpless like it'd be very easy to make her a helpless character oh she's blind therefore she needs saving and she effectively like she gets out of that house by herself at the end by the tricks that she has taught herself remember the distance from the door to the clock remember you know um, put your hand in the skull of a man that's just been shot yeah and it was it was grimly (laughs) that was a clever thing to do he obviously so d obviously planned for that and that is poor old uh or Ralph Mandy. Yeah, creepy um, boy. Played by an uncredited Frank Whaley, who I have seen in stuff before, and I don't know why he was uncredited. Ah, uh, man, and I can't remember. He's one of these noughts actors that is just always there. Uh, that's it, it just is in so many different things. How do you spell um, his name? But now, so while you're looking for that, I know there Broken are probably... Ar- Broken Arrow. That's how there I know. There probably has been, and probably will be again, discussions of an actor without a disability playing a character with a disability. Mm-hmm. I don't know where I stand on this, uh, but I think the way she's depicted in the film, I think it's done quite respectfully. Uh, there's no kind of like, as I said, she's not a damsel in any way. And the fact that she's blind, it plays into the plot, but it's not a, ca- a defining character trait. It it kind of is because she's, she's 
it's a vulnerability and he has a vulnerability his biggest self-conscious element is his face and he's had to have mm. he has, he's had to be reconstructed and she doesn't see that she sees the person before she sees the beast so it is i think it's quite crucial but i i also wish you would stop bringing up shit that's going to get us into trouble <laughs> It's not getting us into trouble. We've done nothing wrong. No, I think partly it, I don't have a problem with it, but it's also not something for me to have a problem with, if that makes sense. So it's not me that's being underrepresented. So I don't really, I don't have an opinion on whether this is a good or a bad thing. I'd love to hear someone else's opinion on the wider topic of stop casting blind people when there's that aren't blind because there's enough blind people that are. The phrasing was spectacular, but I know yes. what you mean. <laughs> Yeah. Stop um, casting people but, that aren't blind to play blind people. Yeah. Now, don't run yourself down. I mean, you are a Caucasian sit-het European man. <laughs> if anyone is underrepresented in cinema. When are we going to have our day? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I want to see myself on the screen. We never get it. When are we going to silence those mean, mean minority? Oh, wait, no. History. That's when we'll silence them. But, yeah, oh, it's, 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 an, it's an interesting because I think... In 2002, the dialogue was not being had the way the dialogue is being had today about just representation in general and also opportunities of course not. for actors no, not with, you know, different abilities. I, I really like as well, there's because they, there's, they, there's a scene where they play on that. It's where they're in her apartment and she's made him a coffee and she's getting him a slice of pie and she goes, okay, let's discuss the elephant in the room. And of course, everyone's like, oh, we're about to talk about the fact she's blind. She goes, you've clearly had some soft palate repair. And I'm just like, nicely <laughs> done. Very nice. Very, yeah. very nice. Yeah, I like that twist. Dollarhide's actions are grim. They are grim in this movie. It is horrible. Yeah, when, before we see him, we see what he's done. So mm. when Graham is recruited, you, he insists on seeing the murder scenes and yeah the actions are horrific and the things that he does to children you you cannot defend this person um yes uh, yeah. he needs to be stopped you just have to pity that he was allowed to get this far that's yeah like there is it's he is as as we've discussed he is a pitiable man however there is like there is no question as to whether or not i mean he needs to be brought in alive great yeah. but then start like seeing every psychotherapist in the world and see what you can do but then i don't know the way it's presented certainly in this film it there is kind of only one ending in his future yeah absolutely. Um, in a way it's sad uh, from what we talked about in uh un- incredible and again so i said i was laughing with you when i was watching this so i've seen this film i don't know five or six times now at this point overall but there's been a huge gap so as i was watching it and then the voiceover for grandma comes in <laughs> I literally leapt out of my seat. It's like that's Alan Bernstein. You knew exactly who it was immediately. Oh was like, my god! Because she's got such a distinctive voice. I was like, how did I not pick this up the first couple of times? <laughs> uh, yeah, uncredited voiceover cameo by Alan Bernstein. Um, who? Uh, ah, we all know who she is. But anyway, Interstellar, The Exorcist, Wrecking yeah. for a Dream. Oh, just chills. Just out. I just said just in case I double checked it was like no, I double checked and then IMDb was like did you really have to check this like, yes, I'm, I'm sorry IMDb I'm sorry even, do you even like movies what do you want about yeah. um, no but I did find out I sent you so I sent you a screenshot on IMDb so this is something that you wouldn't have picked up and I'm, I now don't feel guilty that I didn't pick up from the film because it's not in the film but there is a voiceover done for the dragon as okay. played by Frank Langella now, it was cut from the final film. Now, Frank Langella was uh, Skeletor in He-Man. He oh, was awesome. in DS9 in the Circle episodes. He's the one running the the, the Bajoran Circle, the three-parter. Um, like, you'd know him. 
Oh, yeah. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. I think he got an actor. Uh, an, he got an actor for that one. Did he get an actor? He got for an that? actor at the Oscars. Nice. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, so it was a voiceover scene where Dollarhide is trying to convince the dragon to let him have Reba, and basically the dragon is like, "Nope, yep, kill nope. her, yeah, can't have uh, her." And they they cut that because they thought mm, it doesn't really work. But I was like, "Oh, what an actor to cut from your film!" Oh man, I mean, if he's already recorded it, like just use it. My goodness, funny, yeah. So there's three people who went uncredited. So we had Ellen Bernstein, Frank Langella, and then yeah, Frank Whaley as. Ralph Mandy and Mandy gets enough lines that he should at least have got like a yeah I was in this film you would think but that's really interesting so, and obviously Commander Shelby turns up for a little bit oh you blew my mind with that <laughs> yeah love it oh, oh I love it it's so good um, generic FBI lady woman absolutely uh, oh that is ga- like honestly I was like didn't see it didn't see it but I was like I know that voice yep. before before even the face and now obviously I can't not see it but before the face I saw the voice and I was just yeah, like yeah of course saw the voice you know what I mean um, heard the voice yeah <laughs> there is so there is something in this film that I remember initially going hang on this doesn't make sense so in the opening scene in the in the orchestra Benjamin Raspail the flautist mm. we know him because we saw his head in a jar in the silence of the lambs Oh, of course. However. Right. So in The Silence of the Lambs, this man's head in a jar, Hannibal says, I merely packed him away as I found him. Here, Hannibal has killed Benjamin Raspell. There is no question as to it. So there is, so apparently this is, uh, now I'll just, to be honest, I'm just going to read you out the IMDb thing because it explains it better than I will. No, go for Uh, it. The musician that Dr. Hannibal Lecter sees playing badly and later serves to his dinner guests was meant to be Benjamin Raspell whose head Clarice Starling found in the Sinus of the Lambs. In that movie, Hannibal tells Clarice that he did not kill Raspail, merely tucked him away much as I found him. This is not a discrepancy in the book. Hannibal admits to having killed Raspail. The head in the jar was another man named Klaus. Oh, interesting. But as presented in the movies, that's uh, a plot hole. Yeah, it is, because they don't do a good job of that. So where are we at then? I want uh, Mary Louise Parker as Molly. She doesn't get a lot to do, but I like what she does. No, I like what she does. And she, um, I like that there's just a little scene of Will giving her some training, just so that she knows how to fire a gun. I found that scene so sad. Yeah, she's coming to terms with the fact that I am, the only reason I'm training to use this gun is that I may have to use it on somebody. So you can, it's a brilliant bit of acting, of facial acting, where she's, yeah, just like, I'm coming to terms with the fact that I may have to put a bullet in somebody. And can I do that? And yeah, I can. I mean, she didn't have to do it in the fucking head. Well, I mean, I'm speaking specifically just of video games here, but a headshot means they're not getting back up again. Generally. And I just think if you go into that kind of, you know, I'm protecting my family mode. Not that I'm not bloody advocating shooting people in the head here, no, people, be before my words are twisted. Let's be careful. But you can most certainly understand, hang on, what's the scene I've just walked in on? My son is terrified. My husband is covered in feckin' blood. Yeah, what's going on And here? Uh, this man is here to destroy us all. Okay, not anymore. <laughs> um, I've finished this and one. In a way, the way it's presented in the film... Killing Dollarhide is as much a mercy as anything else because he's so lost at this point. There's no coming back. Yeah, who knows? I mean, he'll be in prison for the rest of his life. Yeah. And that's if he goes quite like, I mean, let's let's just say they manage to, you know, the FBI or the police arrive. And I mean, 
you think he's gone quietly? No, of course he's not. Anything else you want to hit on in the movie? Everything. There's so, there, I have to think there is a... F- Hang on. You, Ian, talk to me about your favourite returning person for this film. Oh, no. Because he's not in front of the camera. Ted Talley. Ted Talley. Yeah, Ted Talley. Yeah, he said he basically came back because he really liked the original novel. Everyone kind of agreed that Hannibal didn't do what it was supposed to, the book as well as the film. Um, so this was kind of a redemption story. And it's it's why Hopkins returns as well, because he, he said himself he's not really happy with what happened to Hannibal in Hannibal. And this was a chance to turn him back to the monster that, that he was in Silence of the Lambs. Um, but you can just tell it's Ted Talley writing the script. He just writes so damningly and succinctly and using just really evo- ev- evocative language to make somebody question their own state of mind. Yeah, and it's it's the mark of good writing. And look, as I say, I'm not a massive fan of the script for Hannibal, but partly I'm not a massive fan of the story of Hannibal. So that's kind of... Yeah. Sorry, Thomas Harris. But Thomas Harris also wrote this, wrote Silence of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. So I, your man gets a pass. <laughs> yeah, it was delighted to have him back. And you can see the difference, not only visually, and obviously that goes towards cinematography as well as anything else, um... But yeah, just the dialogue. It's so believable. Um, I don't... It doesn't feel like an awful lot of wasted dialogue in this. It doesn't feel like anybody's running out the clock or anything. Hannibal, there's no question. That's one thing. There's no question at all of Hannibal getting out of his confinement in this film. They didn't do... Obviously, in Silence, you know, there's the whole escape scene or whatever. But we know he has to still be in the cage going into silence. So well, they literally end, yeah, with Clarice yeah. turning up. So I think he has fun yeah. with Will Graham, whereas he's not having fun with Clarice because there is actual stakes there. Yeah, he's plotting. Whereas here, he's just like, oh, it's grand. And, you know, he's, you know, he sends Dollahide after Will Graham. Yeah, and know? I think he knows he can't manipulate Will into... Mm releasing him he knows he can manipulate Clarice because she's new but yeah the stuff he the, the way he gets Dollar Hyde the way he gets sorry uh, Will's address on the phone is like just be a deer and open that Rolodex for me I'll dance at your wedding I was like oh brother you <laughs> didn't you thanks know very much married? Yeah, yeah solid pass thanks so good uh, and the, um, the ham hand yeah. the ham fisted attempt to um, trick him into getting the toilet paper and the message. And <laughs> it's not for a second as Hannibal by that. He knew before he ever saw the, glo- the gloves confirms it, but he knew. Yeah, he knew. He absolutely yeah. knew. Yeah, I just think overall the story's really uh, well, the film's really well played, paced. I didn't think it were fucking hell. Overall, the story is really well. I've done it fucking again. Overall, the story is really well paced. No, the um, film. Overall, the film is. Oh, shoot. Oh, I did it as well. <laughs> Oh, it's Look, we're, there's two of us in it. There's two of us in it. Uh. Overall, the film is really well paced. Uh, it doesn't feel like two hours. And it's proper detective work. Like, mm. <laughs> excuse me, the way they get to from A to B to C to Dollarhide, nice, is really good. There's some proper detective work in there. It's not yeah. anything that's handed to them on a plate. Um, even Hannibal doesn't hand it to him on a plate. It's like You're watching the home video. That's all you need to know. But it's nothing to do with the home video. It's who's behind the camera. And it's bringing... Well, he's not behind the camera, but he's editing the work together. He's behind the computer yeah. that's doing the work. I mean, it's it's there for everyone to see, but it's so creepy that when Will is watching the video, you don't realise it, but you're seeing exactly what Dollarhide saw. Yeah, absolutely. And that's creepy. Yeah, super uh, creepy, super creepy. No, I like it. It's a it's a good villain. Hannibal works best when he's not the villain. Yes, because he has he has Great. more power that way. I, I just I love this film. I I genuinely love this film. It's so good. Yep, yep, hundred percent. So delighted. 
Uh, I've already ranked my. I think I'm pretty sure our rankings are the same for this I series. Think it's the only way it can be, isn't it? It's yeah. Silence of the Lambs, Red Dragon, and Hannibal. Which is has to be. I have um, seen um, Hannibal Rising, and it's it's just. A, I haven't, so I literally I don't. I, it's bland, and the biggest, hugest, most mahusive problem is it's not Anthony Hopkins playing Hannibal Lecter. That's the problem. Not it's not enjoyable. Bless him, the the guy that does play him. Um, I have got his name. Oh, oh no, I haven't got his name. I did see it there. Good luck pronouncing it, by the way. Gaspar Rudiel. Yeah, him. He's just not right. He's not Hannibal. Good. But there we go. Just looking at the. Yeah, just looking at the, the uh, <laughs> cast list there for that film. I will, I must watch it because I just, I haven't watched it. So I will watch it. I, you know, I might even read the book actually. Yeah, just uh, as a I know it's based on a direct yeah. novel. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, because we know, and again, we talked about this and really, really quickly, we know other people can play Hannibal and play them very well. Mads Mikkelsen yep. and Brian Cox did a perfectly acceptable job in, yeah. in Manhunter. Um, so we will see. We will see. We won't on this series. Um, <laughs> have we decided what we're doing next? Uh, not that I know of. So we will get back to you. Yeah, I had some ideas, but we'll see. Again, open to suggestions, so fire us out some stuff. I hope you enjoyed our Hannibal series, and we will see you next week. See you next week. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to An Englishman and an Irishman Go to the Movies. I, at least, would love to hear your thoughts on the episode. Sean couldn't care enough to record this with me. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at EnglishIrishGTM, email us at anenglishmanandanirishman at gmail.com, and check out our website, www.anenglishmanandanirishman.wordpress.com, where you'll find all of our previous episodes. You'll find me on Twitter at Galactic underscore Dave, and you'll find Sean at Sean Ferrick. Thanks for being awesome, and we love you very much. <laughs>